Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. Today, Dr. Gary Wirtz is joined by Drs. Nandini Venkateswaran and Dagny Zhu and guest Dr. Priya Gupta for a discussion on private practice versus academia. They talk about which factors to consider when trying to decide which path to take, plus they'll each share their own experiences in navigating this pivotal moment in their careers. Coming up on Off The Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to Ophthalmology Off the Grid, Survive and Thrive series. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz, along with my co-host, Dr. Nandini Venkateswaran out of Mass Ioneer and Dr. Dagny Zhu at Envision in California. And today we're talking about private practice versus academia. It's a big conversation. A lot of us decide to go in one direction or the other. And we have a very special guest, one of my, I have to say, one of my best friends in ophthalmology, uh, Dr. Priya Gupta. Uh, Priya and I go way back. We've worked on a number of projects together, especially recently, and we'll probably get into a little bit of that. but. Uh, without any further ado, Priya, thank you for joining us tonight on Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And Gary, you are one of my best friends in ophthalmology. Ah, you know, it's just so yeah. much so much love. It's great. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> um, so we're talking about academia and private practice. You know, we, you and I um, span that, that entire conversation. You're at Duke and have been there, I guess, since fellowship. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, this is my 10th year on faculty. Wonderful, wonderful. So I want to get into um, really because this this our listenership really spans a wide range. But I feel like a lot of younger ophthalmologists listen to Off the Grid, and probably a lot of ophthalmologists either um, in medical or pre you know pre ophthalmology medical students or ophthalmology residents or maybe early career ophthalmologists who are in the middle of trying to decide what do I do. You know, should I stay at my institution? Should I go and try and get a real job? At one point in my life, I was going to do a, an ASOPRS fellowship in plastics and stay at the University of Kentucky and be their plastics uh, guy. Um, that didn't end up uh, happening. I changed my mind kind of last minute and uh, decided to go into your segment. But Priya, I, I would like to know from you, um, when did it click for you that academics was going to be um, the way you started your career? You know, Gary, I think that, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason. And a lot of times it isn't that you magically have all the information that you need to make, you know, the perfect decision at the perfect time. Um, so I did my residency at Duke and then I did my cornea refractive anti-segment fellowship um, at Minnesota Eye Consultants with Dick Lindstrom and Dave Harden and Tom Samuelson. And so those are two very different environments. You know, Duke obviously is a you know major academic institution, 
you know, as students, we're very comfortable with academic institutions. We know what they're like, you know, it's kind of like where you've been raised. Um, and fellowship was just a very different experience because it, it's a, it's a academically oriented private practice. And so I really got to see kind of both sides. And I think that ultimately you can't make a wrong decision. You know, the only wrong decision is an uninformed one. And to me, um, you know, I've always loved um, being around residents and fellows and teaching and um, being involved with research. And I, I think that the way it worked out was just that, you know, there, there happened to be an opening <laughs> at Duke uh, after fellowship. And, um, you know, it's obviously an amazing eye center, amazing collective group of resources. And I think for me, you know, early in my career, I didn't have a strong leaning of, oh, I had to be academic or I have to be private practice. And it really was about being in an environment that would support clinical growth when I wanted to or academic work when I needed it. And, and I found that early in my career that, that the environment that I chose was actually a reasonable balance for that. Now, Anthony, you've recently had to make this decision also. Um, I'd love to know kind of what, what went in your mind when you were thinking about what do you do when you grow up, if you will? You know, what, what do you do post, post fellowship? Yeah, I remember, I mean, it was just under a year ago now. And I remember even talking to Priya quite a bit as I was trying to make my decision. Um, because for me, I think like she was alluding to, academics is always what I knew. And I did my residency at Bascom Palmer, my fellowship at Duke, and all of my mentors were academicians and watching how their careers evolved. For me, it was kind of identifying people who I wanted to you know, emulate in terms of their career paths or what they were accomplishing and see, you know, how I could make that possible. And, and for me, academics seemed like a very, very safe and a very supportive place to start. Um, I think there's a lot of career security in academics and there's many opportunities in any academic institution, not only clinically, but also from research standpoint, grant funding standpoint, um, education standpoint for trainees, and I think you also have the opportunity to kind of establish, you know, a niche or a name for yourself and pick an area that you want to specialize in. And the, the diversity and the complexity of patients you'll encounter in an academic setting will help you, you know, further identify those areas of interest and, and hone them in because we all come out of training, you know, very excited and enthused to see and do everything. And, you know, 10 years down the line, that, that's going to change. And we're all going to find those areas that we want to you know, become quote unquote experts on. So I thought that was great. And, and Mass Ioneer, I'm, I'm primarily at a satellite location, but I'm also operating at the main eye center and seeing patients and working in the ER there as well. So it's been a nice hybrid model actually for me to, you know, work in kind of an office-based setting, but also have opportunities to work with trainees in the emergency room and work in the clinics there where, you know, patients are sicker or more indigent than more so in the satellite. So I really enjoyed it so far, two months in, can't complain. Yeah, and, and Dagny, you were kind of on the other side. I know it took a little while for you to really get started, um, but you're at Envision, a fantastic you know, group practice um, or chain of practices, and you're, I think, the youngest owner of one of those centers. Walk me through your thought process on, on, on which way to go. Did you know early on you wanted private practice or was it more of a struggle to decide? 
Um, I was really similar to Priya. Like I had a really open mind coming out, especially because my number one priority was getting back home to Southern California. I know for some people, geography becomes their you know number one priority based on where their family is. So when you're trying to go back to somewhere that's pretty saturated, your opportunities are a little bit more limited. So I kept a very open mind. And I interviewed basically everywhere, private practice, academia, and Kaiser, which is a large HMO-based hospital system here that's very popular as well. So I sort of got to see a little bit of each. Um, but I have to say, you know, when I found the Envision opportunity, I was scared because like most residents or new trainees, we get very little exposure to private practice and all we know is academia. And I was afraid of missing out and losing everything that I loved from academia, namely the opportunity to do, you know, real research and also to work with residents and to continue to teach. But I will say that I have found that even in private practice, these opportunities are not without, you know, are still within reach. Um, like Priya said, her fellowship was very, you know, it was a private practice fellowship, but very academically oriented. And um, so your private practice is whatever you make of it. Um, so for me, I'm actually very interested in doing research. And so I've had opportunities to collaborate with industry and do sort of some of these post-market investigator initiated studies. Um, some of the surgeons at our centers are doing uh, studies on the Vividity lens that just came out. I'm I'm doing studies on the trifocal panoptics. And so, you know, Dr. Tuma, who is the founder of Envision, he was, you know, in a lot of the FDA trials of a lot of the things that came out. So it's actually pretty um, limitless, the type and amount of research that you can still do in private practice. It's sort of a different type of research. You probably couldn't do basic science research, for instance, as much, but the research opportunities are still there. And uh, for teaching, too, I actually have a lot of students who shadow me. A lot of them are med students and I've had residents rotate with me too. And actually, actually, I recently became a clinical preceptor for one of our neighboring um, universities, Western universities. So I'm a fourth year rotation site for them. So I get to actually have students come in, which is pretty cool. Um, so I get to keep doing that, which is awesome. Yeah. And I want to just take a pause here. Um, to actually, I want to thank our sponsor, Johnson Johnson. You know, without them, we're not able to do this. And it's really important that we're able to get these kind of conversations started. And there's a lot of, like I said, residents out there and, and early career ophthalmologists who are trying to make these decisions. So I do want to thank uh, Johnson Johnson for sponsoring this. Um, but one thing that I, I found very interesting because I came into ophthalmology as an outsider. Um, I was exposed to medicine. My father was an internist. So growing up, I was kind of exposed to medicine, but ophthalmology was just kind of this weird field um, I didn't really know too much about. And it seems in other fields of medicine, um, the thought leaders really come from academia. Uh, it's not to say that that's not the case in ophthalmology, but I feel like it's, it's pretty well balanced with um, some private practice doctors like Dr. D Dr. Dick Lindstrom um, and some, some others who are out there, Steve Slade, Eric Donenfeld, Warren Hill, you know, the list goes on. You know, there's a number of private practice ophthalmologists who are really kind of at the top of, of the KOL or thought leader board. And it is really interesting that private practice can be um, as academic as you want to make it. Um, when I got out of, of residency, you know, I, I really just wanted to go do surgery. I mean, people who know me, if you spend much time around me, I like to cut, you know, I like to I like to do cataract surgery. You know, I, I just like to, you know, be efficient and make, make the most of my time in the operating room. And I really strongly uh, focus my efforts that way. But it wasn't too long when I was in, you know, private practice that 
a lot of the intellectual curiosity that was fostered and developed through undergrad, through medical school and residency, because I was doing research all the way along, not necessarily because I loved it. It was more of, I felt like I kind of needed to do it, but that muscle, you know, you sort of build those, those muscles or, or whatever it is. And, you know, I started being curious about things. And so, you know, not to say that you get the grass is greener, um, effect where you're wondering, you know, should I have gone into one thing or the other? But I will say that, um, you know, in private practice and ophthalmology, you do have a lot of opportunities, like Dagny was saying. Um, as a matter of fact, Priya and I just recently published a paper together. Um, so Priya, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because that was something that you and I just over, I don't know, a cup of coffee, we were talking about our, our practices and how we could collaborate. And next thing you know, we've got uh, you know all these things that, that we've launched. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, um, you're absolutely right, Gary. I, I can't emphasize enough to the people out there that are listening that really it is what you make of it. Um, and I truly believe that in academics and private practice, you can be academic and you can be research minded. And just because you start in one environment doesn't need to mean that you end in that environment. You know, academic institutions change, private practices change. And I think, you know, if I could give everybody one, one piece of advice before I tell everybody about our awesome paper, um, it is that, you know, every three to five years, it's so important for you to sit down and look at what your own personal goals are, look at what your current environment is. And, you know, you can always assume that something else is better, but there's going to be pros and cons to everything. And I think that unless you're actively reflecting on whether or not your environment makes you happy or, you know, are you achieving the goals of what you're, you know, what you want. If you don't reflect on that, you're not going to be your happiest. Um, partly because, you know, sometimes we just need to accept limitations and we need to accept that a certain environment can only provide, you know, certain things. And, and I, I've always believed that, you know, things are what you make of it. <laughs> and you should not let anybody else control your your destiny and your happiness because it really is up to you, you know, to perceive everything as it is. And if you don't like it, change it. But um, our collaboration, um, yes, Gary and I were, I don't know, on the phone. You know, Gary knows me well. I'm constantly walking <laughs> outside. Yes. I think I always have my earbuds in and Gary can probably hear the birds chirping on the trail. Right. But, um, we, you know, we were talking about femtosecond laser cataract surgery and, you know, the, the topic of like, why doesn't everybody just feel like this is giving better visual outcomes? Like, you know, we're doing it in a high percentage of our patients. Um, and you know, one thing led to another, a couple of PubMed searches. We found that actually there's been no studies looking at the femtosecond laser, um, and its impact on managing low levels of astigmatism and what that meant for uncorrected vision. And so we worked together and um, out of it created a formula, the Wurtzgupta formula, which is freely available actually at lricalc.com. We learned things about building a website. <laughs> lricalc.com is, you know, blood, sweat, and tears of Gary Wurtz and Priya Gupta <laughs> right. trying to That's figure right. out like how to speak web designer. Um, but you know, most importantly, um, it, like such a great illustration of collaboration among colleagues, independent of our own environments. You know, 
Gary has certain fortes. I had certain fortes. And it's, the fortunate thing is that to put together, <laughs> they all came together so nicely. And, um, you know, those are the things that I really like would encourage everyone out there listening. If you're, you know, when I said earlier, like things are what you make of it. So if you're interested in, in doing academic work, but you're in a private practice, reach out to your academic colleagues, you know, and if you don't have all the infrastructure or, or vice versa, you know, um, sometimes in private practice, you have access to certain things technology wise, et cetera, that you won't have in academics um, because it's a larger institution and there's less, you know, control or choice sometimes. And um, this collaboration to me really just um, reinforced that if you have an idea, you can see it through to fruition. And, um, you know, I really, I think this was like a journey of learning because, you know, after 10 years of academic work, you know, I learned something new. And then, I, I mean, Gary and I have a list of like five other projects <laughs> in, our, in our pipeline of fun things. And, you know, even from here, um, I, I feel like it's also a springboard to us working with other colleagues. We have um, none that you're one of our, uh, you know, in, sub investigators here, but we have our friends and colleagues testing out our formula and giving us, you know, real world feedback. And, you know, that turns into another larger collaboration. Um, the website itself, you know, we have international users. So it's impacting a number of people in ophthalmology. And, you know, when I look at my day to day, those are the things that excite me. Working, like surrounding myself with, people that are like-minded that you know have a high bar for excellence that value taking great care of their patients and and i know that about myself and so you know if i if i'm not in that environment i change it or i try to put those pieces together so that you know i can be happy with my day-to-day and i think academics private practice you know it's there's so many shades of gray in between um, that that you really can make things to what you want. Yeah, I also think that sometimes I think as ophthalmologists or you know high performing individuals in general, we probably put a lot of pressure on ourselves to try to be excellent at everything. And I do think we you sometimes we don't leverage the the friendships that we have. Where you know Priya was so helpful to me in this process of. Hey, let's think about the study design. You know, I had in my mind a study design and and goals. And as we talked about it, she really helped clarify my thinking on it. And so it was like, wow, it's a really great way that just reaching out to a friend who has strengths in other areas, um, it made the process so much uh, more productive. And so I think that we're really lucky in ophthalmology that we do have such a collaborative environment between academics and private practice, because that's not, it's not that way everywhere. Um, Dagny, what about in your, in your area, you know, with your, um, you're in Southern California, you're at a, you're at a big refractive center. Are you able to collaborate with your local universities or, um, in, in residency programs and, or are you able to collaborate with your partners throughout the Envision network? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of us partner together. We are a very large private practice group. So there's surgeons practicing all throughout the West Coast. And so there's ample opportunity for collaborations on research projects. But 
even with um, local residents, you know, I have residents helping me with um, helping me with my research projects. And there's an opportunity because you'll discover if you're in private practice trying to do academia, one of the logistics, oh, sorry, trying to do uh, research, you're trying to, um, one of the logistical issues you try to deal with early on is how do I get IRB approval? <laughs> That's something I never thought about um, as a resident because I just went to the university IRB. But once you're in private practice, you realize you you got to find IRB and there are actually commercial IRBs available which you can apply to and that's actually what I did um, many that I was never aware of before um, but the other option is also to collaborate with your colleagues who may be at neighboring uh, universities so for example with a resident or something you can apply through you know their university's IRB I'm actually doing some social media projects which are kind of cool and you know it still needs an IRB for some simple stuff we're looking at but I'm working with some residents up in Canada, and they're actually, they actually went through their University of Toronto IRB to get it approved really quickly, much faster than I could get probably from a university down here. So um, yeah, there's just different opportunities, definitely. Um, logistically, it helps to collaborate with an academic center, for sure. Yeah, and Nandini, you're at the Mecca. You know, you're at uh, Mass Ioneer. You've got access to so many, I'm sure, so many fun technologies. What's it been like starting out in academia? Any, any surprises? Has it been about how you thought it would be? Anything you're enjoying especially? I, I think a lot of it's learning to navigate how many resources you have at your disposal. It's actually quite overwhelming to start off because you know, you're trying to figure out what area do you wanna focus on? What sort of research do you wanna do? And a lot of research comes from your, your clinical practice. So for me, a priority has been kind of building my patient base. So you know, I could identify conditions I wanna study or think of ways you know, potentially to implement new technologies and and do investigator initiated trials. And so, but one of the best things has been able to pick the brains of so many smart people around me. And even if it's like a five minute conversation in between OR cases or setting up a meeting with the head of my cornea service, just trying to get a sense of what was your career path like? How did you decide what you were gonna do when you started? You know, you have a lot of free time, your first, you know, at least six months of practice. So that's the time that you can really devote to, you know, writing papers or thinking of research ideas, spending time doing those PubMed searches. To, to figure out where there's something lacking in the literature. So for me, it's been a lot of just like brainstorming and, and trying to figure out what it is. And then, you know, hopefully as things get busier and, and, you know, I think of more ideas, things will come into fruition. Priya, when you are working with your residents, um, do you, can you tell which ones are gonna be bound for academia, which ones are bound for private practice? And then the, those who could go either way, are there certain traits that you see in them? It is interesting. I, I, as much as I would like to be able to <laughs> predict, my ball. yeah, my, in my crystal ball, um, you know, there is uh, kind of like what Dagny said, you know, like sometimes the, the other factors, like where your family is or where, what geographic areas you want to be in. Sometimes that, you know, plays a role in, in um, decisions. But I, I think that, you know, at least at Duke, we, a lot of our residents are, you know, already fairly academically oriented. And so, you know, if I picked solely based on that, now remember, I don't get to all, all of them to go into cornea. So I got to try harder. Absolutely. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I give all of the residents um, and our fellows the same advice, which is, you know, sometimes you get so stuck on academics or private practice. And, you know, I really encourage people not to look at it that way. And to look at, you know, so many more factors, right? I mean, how often do we reflect on what's going to make us happy, right? 
we assume we know what's going to make us happy. But when it comes to a real life decision, like where are you going to live? Where are you, um, you know, going to practice? Who are you going to practice with? You know, we spend more time with our coworkers often than we do at home with our families at times. So, you know, those are big decisions. And, and I don't think that you should necessarily get trapped in the, I got to pick one way or the other, um, you know, because knowing what you want and need is, is really the most important deciding factor. Korea, I love what you said about how it's really what you make of it. You know, not all academia is the same. Not all private practice is the same. It's really what you make of your own opportunity. And just numbers wise, I mean, most residents are going to go into private practice. That's just where most of the opportunities are. But that doesn't mean they can't be academic like we, you know, we talked about. There's lots of opportunities there. Absolutely. Wondering, do you have, you know, for our young ophthalmologists or trainees listening, is there anything about academia that you don't like? Any cons um, about working in an academic setting? Just so <laughs> it can help them sort of uh, make their decisions. Yeah, I think um, as you get further along in your career in academics, I think that one of the things you'll realize is that um, you know they're they're part of bigger systems, and um, bigger systems tend to make decisions for the average, right? So on, on average, how can we get more people happier than, than not happy, right? So it's not necessarily, how can I get Dr. X to be happiest, but it's how can I get, you know, the averages to be, you know, um, well taken care of. And so that sometimes I think can be difficult because, you know, if you have a specific vision, a specific drive, a specific goal for your patients, um, or even going down to like products, even specific technology that you want to have access to. Unfortunately, you don't always have control over that things like that. Whereas, you know, if you said, okay, I want to see this many patients in clinic, you might not be able to, because there might be shared resources or there might be, um, you know, things where you are part of a bigger system and it's, it's not really as much about you no matter how excellent your work is or how much your patients you know love you it, like things like that are important but but you're still part of a bigger circle whereas in private practice you know your circle is smaller you often have more autonomy and more um, decision making and but with that comes often more financial responsibility and um, uh, more logistical sort of organizational kind of things, you know, so right now when I go to clinic, you know, I don't, I don't make a schedule. I don't, you know, I show up, I see my patients. I hope that there's enough people to help me <laughs> get through the day and, and you move on. But, you know, I, I think that it goes both ways, right? So there's some days where I'm, oh, this is great that I, you know, don't have to think about all these logistics. But then there's other times where you would like to change something or you would like to improve something that's broken and you can't fix it because it's a system issue. I'll say that as a you know private practice partner, you know, I'm able to really totally optimize my my practice lifestyle. I can be as selfish as I want to be. <laughs> as long as I can fund it, I can do whatever I want. I have full autonomy. Mm -hmm. The problem comes in when something like COVID hits and you are on the hook for making sure that all of your employees don't starve. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got, I've got, you know, hundred employees potentially, and maybe not quite that many, but not far off. And, you know, if we're not, if we're shut down, you know, all those people I'm responsible for, 
you know, and, and ultimately it's the doctors who make the revenue. And if we're not operating or do, seeing patients, you know, so it's, it's really, there's this, it cuts both ways. You know, there's maybe a higher chance of, you know, optimizing your lifestyle. Um, you have a little bit more control over your income in some regard, um, but also you're really on the hook. And if things don't go well, you don't have the university there necessarily as a buffer between you and, and the big bad world that's waiting for you out there. So I do think it's sort of a risk reward calculation that we have to take in, into account. I do want to say like during COVID I've actually, um, you know, we all had maybe a little more time because we're not go running and gunning and going to meetings and traveling everywhere. And I read this really great book called Ikigai, which is the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. It's actually by uh, Hector Garcia and Francis Morales, who are both Spanish authors. It's in English. So it's a very quick read. It's only about 160 pages long. For anyone out there who's like in the middle of sort of a, not a crisis necessarily, but more just sort of a reflecting mood of, am I doing, you know, sort of what I was meant to do? Am I in the right space for myself? Um, basically, the, the Ikigai is sort of a combination of uh, what you love, what you can be paid for, what the world needs, and what you are good at. It's sort of at this intersection between passion, mission, profession, and vocation. And, you know, I think a lot of times we just go to work and we don't think too much about our mission or our, our reason for being alive and our reason for being put on the earth. And, you know, as ophthalmologists, you know, we're working miracles at scale. I mean, as a Christian, you know, like I read the Bible and, you know, Jesus did a few miracles, but the ones that really stood out were, were basically making the blind man see again. At least that stands out to me. You know, I think about this and like, you know, there are people who walk into my, not, I'm not comparing myself, you know, but what I'm saying is sometimes we take it for granted, you know, what we really do. And it's absolutely mind blowing. And if, if we could do this, you know, thousand years ago or 2000 years ago, we would be considered, you know, like having otherworldly power. Sometimes in the grind of doing a lot of it though, it wears on you and you don't remember how special it is. So I just want to remind everyone out there, if you're listening to this and you're burnt out or you're trying to re refigure out, you know, why you're here doing this, you know, it's okay to take a step back and really think about, um, you know, the choices that you want to make for yourself. Making a change is, you know, I'm a testament to that. I've been in a number of different practices and I'm so happy now, but that was after, you know, it's like you got to kiss a lot of frogs. So, you know, sometimes where you start is not where you end. And so I think anyone out there listening, you know, you take agency over your own decisions in your life. And, um, you know, that's, I think, how you, you figure out, you know, how to make a real productive, meaningful life. So what was the name of that book? Can you spell the title? Yeah, it's I-K-I-G-A-I, Ikigai. The I Japanese, just it on my Audible. Yeah, it's <laughs> online. The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. Very good book. I, it's mind-blowing. Love it. So Priya, any thoughts, any final thoughts before we wrap up? You know, I, I just, I'm excited for all the, you know, future ophthalmologists out there. Um, and I think my only advice to them is don't be paralyzed with the decision, you know, that everything is changeable. Mm -hmm. Truly, Absolutely. you know, there, there just isn't a thing that you couldn't change if you truly were committed to, you know, fulfilling a goal, you know, an ideal, 
a practice style, you know, whatever it is that, that as you said, Gary, makes you passionate, that makes you excited. Um, uh, that is what you should pursue. And that applies to so many areas in our own lives. But unfortunately, it takes us a long time to realize that. And I really do believe that, you know, if you keep that at the forefront, as you're thinking about these decisions, it makes all of the decisions so much less onerous and more palatable and truly puts the power of, uh, you know, being happy in whatever environment you choose in your own hands. So good luck out there. Wonderful. Bloom where you're planted. I love it. Those are wise words. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Nandini, absolutely. Well, I think we'll just wrap up there. Um, Priya, Nandini, Dagny, thank you so much. I love uh, connecting, talking with you all, and I always learn and feel like I'm better for it. So thanks again. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid, Survive and Thrive, sponsored by Johnson & Johnson. Until next time. Thank you to our contributors for joining another episode of the Survive and Thrive series. And thanks to Dr. Gupta for sharing her expertise. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time.